Welcome to the Christ-Centred Cosmic Civilization podcast. And we're going to move on to a new theme for the next few episodes, thinking really about music. We've thought uh, quite a lot about angels and maths, and then we thought about the fey creatures or the mythological creatures. And in a way, something that unites all those last three themes is music. The angels, as we'll see, are very musical, and music and maths go very much together. Uh, there's something very musical about maths, and some would say music is very mathematical. And then, of course, with the fey creatures, we saw how the satyrs uh, are singing um, creatures, and the musical repertoire of the fey world, particularly the monarchical fey uh, societies, is well known. But we're going to, let's begin by just asking the question, what is the difference between noise and music? Now, we have to ask that question because sometimes what uh, is uh, offered as music uh, can sound more like noise. Now, there's a, a sense in which um, when people are older, they listen to music and say, that's just noise. It's not like the proper music I used to listen to. Um, and then and that that's a kind of um, relative judgment that's made. Um, but noise is not just random sounds. So there's mere sounds. Then there's something that we might call noise, which is a, a, um, a conglomeration of sound. And then music is when sounds are united together and it with a, and placed in a, a proper order and with purpose. So like noise might give us a headache and music might take it away. Music is not at all really random or chaotic, even though there have been, in the modern period, attempts to um, redefine or deconstruct the notion of music to make it something that is random or even chaotic. But um, even the kinds of music that might sound quite chaotic and um, some of the experimental jazz music that I quite enjoy. Sometimes people say, oh, that's just chaotic noise, but it isn't once you listen carefully. And even uh, music that may set maybe even more apparently chaotic than that um, still has something more to it. There is deep, order 
and harmony in music. And let's forget now about these fringe cases were that sound more like noise than music. Let's just think about music as we generally understand that. That's the vastly overwhelming experience of music. There is deep order and harmony. And it it is that order and structure and harmony, the pattern and purpose. It's that that makes music so powerful. And music has this uh, a basic rhythm, structure, beat, and even the most complicated music can be written down as simple notes on a page. And that notational system, and we might even spend a whole episode just thinking about the notational systems of music, Uh, those notes mean that we can study, analyse the music, and then other musicians can play the same music over and over again. Um, The word symphony, which we might use about a piece of music, it it can be described as a symphony. And that just means united sounds. And that really perhaps is what music is in the end. It is a a, a uni... It sounds being joined together with a particular kind of order and structure and purpose Sounds become music when they're properly united together with this purpose, really, and, and the structure, the order. Obeying rules and that those rules of music is something we will want to look at. Now, when we study this order and structure of music, the rules, the patterns, the harmony, the... um. Why why some things work and some things not so much. When we study all of that, actually, we find deep patterns that teach us about Jesus and the truths of the Bible. Uh, in the Bible, well, the Bible is just full of references to music and heaven is full of music and hope. And so one of the things we might flag up and perhaps get into more later is the notion that the basic musical scale has eight notes. And eight is the number of new creation and resurrection, as we've seen Jesus raised from the dead on the eighth day. And so the fact that music has this eight structure to it, and we might argue it it doesn't necessarily have to be organised around eight. Aren't there other um, mathematical patterns that can govern music? Well, kind of. It's been done. It's been attempted. Has it been attempted successfully? Nah, that's more questionable. We'll maybe think about that in a future episode. But where we want to start is this, that the Lord God made our ears and the whole cosmos in such a way that sounds can be harmoniously woven together to make music and studying music should open 
Well, not just studying it, just merely listening to it, playing it, listening to it, participating in it, and then perhaps studying it. All of that should open our minds and hearts and ears to the glory of God. Well, all that is by way just of introduction. Um, I think I'd like, to, I remember when we um, were exploring this, maybe about 10 years ago when we were in Swansea, working Swansea in Mount Pleasant Baptist Church there. And we, um, the first of the, of the topics we examined when we were wanting to see how Jesus makes sense of everything. The first one we gave ourselves to formally study is this subject of music. And we had a a phrase that we used in a gospel service. Um, And it's this, if you like music, you'll love Jesus. And we like that because it was just trying to capture in one headline why the, the 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 fact of this deep connection between Jesus and music the largest book of the bible is the music book the book of psalms uh, the final psalm psalm 150 this is this mighty call for the whole creation to use every possible kind of instrument in order to, um, well, uh, to make music to the glory of God. Or think of Psalm 148. Actually, let's just take a moment with Psalm 148. It's this sequence of Right at the end of the Psalms, there's this pattern that Psalm 150 is very musically driven because it literally lists all these instruments to be used. Trumpet, lute, harp, timbrel, dancing, string instruments, flute, cymbals, clashing cymbals. So the percussion is very highly focused on there. But Psalm 148 in this theme and in this musical expression of praise praise the lord praise the lord from the heavens this is psalm 148 praise him in the heights and so you'll see that the the musical call begins in the highest heaven because from verse 2 praise him all his angels praise him all his hosts so those are the hundreds of millions of angels angels and archangels and all the company of heaven joining in um and then as we come down from that third heaven, we come into the second heaven. And here it's from verse three. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heavens of heavens, you waters above the heavens. So that's the celestial ocean. All of that that is uh, embodied in the second or captured in the in the title of the second heaven. All of them are to be involved in this singing and worship, this musical worship uh, of the Lord. And it's praising the Lord, all of this to show off the Lord. Uh, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. 
He made a decree which shall not pass away. So the theme of the praise there is him in his creation. Creating and not just creating them temporarily, but creating them so that they will always be. They will always be. So, yes, they were created in one form in the fallen creation. There's a way and perhaps they they exist in a different way. Even stars die and so on. And yet they are to be recreated in for this resurrection, new creation so that they will now they shall not pass away. All of these things have a an everlasting future in some way. And so for all these reasons, the 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 third heaven and the second heaven are joined together in praise. But now we come down to the first heaven and the earth from verse seven. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the depths. And then in verse eight, we're in the first heaven fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Mountains, hills, fruitful trees, cedars, beasts, cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all the peoples, princes and all judges of the earth. So you can see in this we this concept of the Christ-centered cosmic civilization, and we've always been very aware that there is this cascading hierarchy from the heights down. And here we've gone the first heaven. Now it was mountains, hills, trees, the beasts, flying creatures. Then it's the kings, if you notice, of the earth, um, princes and judges. So it's the in the cosmic hierarchy, it's those that are appointed to rule. And then, uh, verse 12, young men and maidens, old men and children. Old men there are, so, are, are the, um, so at the, le- the level of children in the hierarchy, which is quite an interesting point. And then verse 13, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven. So now all of this, the three heavens, earth, the depths, everything, are gathered together and relativized next to this um, living God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who is this living God. The three are above the heavens and the earth. So they transcend us in creation and yet call forth from us this musical expression. And then it ends in verse 14. By centering actually on church, he's exalted the strength of his people, the praise of all his saints, children of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. So right at the core of the whole cosmic worship, musical worship, is church, which in, in its church that is able to give the it will lead the whole creation and give this true and ultimate musical expression. Now, we've taken time to do that because it is, if we take that literally and think of Psalm 148, 149, 50, so on, it's as if the whole creation from top to bottom is supposed to be filled with music and singing that is full of the glory of God, expressing the glory and meaning and wonder 
of the living God, that we are to revel in our creation. And as church, we as church centred on this idea that He, we are near to him. We are allowed to be near to him, seated with him in heavenly places, and that our existence with him is guaranteed uh, forever and ever. So this idea that music then, the engine of music, is this Christ-centered cosmic civilization, that structure, that hierarchy, is the engine for all the music that should fill the universe it doesn't mean well. We'll come back to whether it's okay to sing about things other than uh, like Christian worship songs, um, but all music has this flavor and energy from the Christ-centered cosmic civilization, as we'll see, because music is not just something that human beings invented. That's really important to know. Music is cosmic. It exists on levels of reality that we on Earth could never access. We could never access, listen into, pry into, record what is going on in the highest heaven. But it turns out in the highest heaven, music is being played without any input from us. It's the other way around. It's not that humans invent music and we project it up. It's the other way around. Music has existed, as we'll see, within God himself for eternal ages before the universe existed. But it exists at the highest levels of reality, and it's as if it cascades down. And then we on Earth are allowed in some measure to participate in this cosmic music. Music is far far bigger than life on this earth and far, far bigger than our own personal musical tastes. And that is very, very important to remember because we can take our own personal musical tastes far too seriously. Um, music then, as we will see, involves the living God and the whole of creation stretching away into an eternal future. Now, many of the greatest musical composers of human history did, in fact, dedicate their compositions to the glory of God, precisely because they saw that the higher we lift our vision, the greater our musical reach and capacity. That's hugely important that to just grasp that for a minute, that our music and songs become small and overly predictable and formulaic when we are preoccupied like the creeping things with just what is immediately around us. But when our hearts and minds are filled with the Christ-centered cosmic civilization, all that we should be. It's not just that our Christian like worship music is better, but all music is better, More, has much greater capacity. The canvas becomes so much bigger to paint on. Well, that, I'm mixing metaphors there. That's art. We'll get to visual art in a, a much later stage of this podcast series. 
but to produce more than passing musical novelty, we need to engage with great themes of love, truth, justice, and yes, the greatest of all, the living God, who guarantees all the rest, that the possibility to tell really great stories with music and song rests on having this engine of great never-ending story at the heart of it all. Victor Hugo said, Music expresses that which cannot be said and on which it is impossible to be silent. I love that. Says more, music expresses more than we can say, but it's we have to we have to make some sound about some subjects and some stories and some feelings and things, and yet we can't, our words can't do it, but our music can. Perhaps the very first book ever written in the Bible was the Book of Job, an intense book about a man who gets taken down into the very depths of suffering and loss and the the agony, the, the sense of being God forsaken in suffering, all of that. He's taken down into that in order to see that nothing in life matters more than knowing the living God. When everything is stripped from us, when we are as naked as the day we were born, when all our strength and pride and understanding is shown up as foolishness, then what do we have? When we are alone or feel alone in the darkness, what can speak to us then? Robert Schumann challenged composers with these words. He said that the job as musical composers is to send light into the darkness of men's hearts. Such is the duty of the artist to send light into the darkness. Can music do that? It's a great thought. But why is the light to shine into darkness? What makes him think such a task is possible? How, why does he think it's possible to musically project light into the darkness? Well, it's the very first page of the Bible that declares that the darkness cannot resist the light that the light can always shine and defeat the darkness. But it's not just what what is it about light that, that means it can do that? Because there is the light of the world that is behind that. And without that light of the world with capital L and capital W perhaps, without that light of the world, there just isn't any hope when darkness seems to reign. Now, perhaps we all know what it is to listen to music when we are in the darkness of the night. And in that music, we feel something that touches us deep down. An echo 
that calls to us of a truth we can't express. Getting back to the quotation from Victor Hugo, it's something that we can't say, but we feel it. And the music seems to say it. Now, this is why we refer to the book of Job. While Job is wrestling with all his pain and sorrow, he is reminded of songs of the night. And the Bible says this music is a gift from the living God himself. Job 35 verses 9 to 10. People cry out under a load of oppression. They plead for relief from the arm of the powerful. But no one says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? I want to end with that uh, as we're opening up this subject of music. That there is this divine musician and we're going to try to explore that more. But the divine musician has created us in such a way that we have ears that can respond in a particular way and that the ability of the air to vibrate in particular patterns and for that to be experienced as sound and not just sound, collections of sound woven together harmoniously to produce music, music that can speak to the very heights of reality and to the depths.